0: So you can see the tone that's been set for this morning. And as Frank played Taps for us there. Interesting thing to me as I was reading up and studying this is the reason that Taps has become the traditional song on Memorial Day, Veterans Day, at military funerals was for a reason of practicality. In 1862, during the Civil War, um, a Union artilleryman. his funeral was being um, observed. They were burying him. And the captain of the unit, instead of doing the traditional 21-gun salute over his grave, is he decided we should do something different because we don't want to um, incite the rebels to start firing back at us. So it was a practical reason, and they adopted taps to be played over his funeral. Over his grave, and so the tradition that we now see had a very practical start. Is instead of allowing or making the rebels, the Confederates, think that we were firing on them with our cannons and starting the battle anew, is yes, he chose to, you know, let's play Taps to honor this man that died. Tomorrow's Memorial Day, obviously, um, close connection with that. That even the traditional. Observance of Memorial Day was started in Waterloo, New York up in the Finger Lakes in 1866 shortly after the Civil War had concluded. And it's been called numerous things over the decades, the century and a half since the Civil War ended. Um, Originally they called it Decoration Day and the purpose of that was those that survived, the families that lost loved ones, is let's go and decorate the graves of our fallen. You know, to honor them, to remember them. And the name I prefer, and I actually, you know, if I had my options, is this is what we would call it to this day, is we would call it Remembrance Day. You know, it's, it's not about barbecues. It's not about getting a day off from work. It's not about families gathering together. All of those things are good. But what we need to do is we need to remember. We re- need to remember, you know, the video that was just shown there, you know, taps being played, we need to remember why they died. And, you know, those things are good. You know, getting family together, there's always, there's never a wrong excuse to get family together, especially in this day and age. But tomorrow, today, you know, whatever you're doing as a family, take the opportunity to remind yourselves and your children of what the day actually means. Um... I wrote down five things that we need to remember what they died for. You know, that the picture, if you guys would put the picture of Arlington back up there. Um, we need to be reminded of our past. And that's a picture of just a small part of Arlington National Cemetery there. So as you look at that, I want you to think of these five different things that the men, the women that are in these you know, military cemeteries all across the world is one of the things that they died for is they died to win our freedom. Yes. The American Revolution, the War of Independence, they died so that we could be independent, so that we could be freed from the oppression of tyranny. Um, during the American Civil War, many of those that died, they died to keep us united, Amen. to keep us united as a country. And on the you know, reverse of that, many of them died to defend their homes and their families. Fourth reason I saw that we need to remember is World War One, World War Two are good examples of this, is many of those that died, they died to prevent the spread of tyranny and evil. Yeah. Yeah. You know, any of you that have studied history is if World War One or Two had ended any differently than it had, we'd be living in a significantly different world than we do today. So we need to remember those that died for that cause. And the fifth reason I see is that many of those that are entombed, they died fighting for those that are too weak to stand against the oppression themselves. So remember what they've done. We're also reminded, again, being a studier of history that I am, one of the common sayings in any history class or social studies class that you may have ever encountered is, those who forget the lessons of history or don't remember the lessons of history are doomed to repeat them over and over again. Um, Abraham Lincoln in his Gettysburg Address, I'm going to quote from part of his address. And he said that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people by the people and for the people shall not perish from the earth. So that's a small part of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. So why should we observe a Memorial Day? It's to remember and honor those dead soldiers. So we remember what they died for, and from the lessons of and learn from those lessons of history. We need to remember the price that they paid for our freedom. And if we remember the price that they paid, if we can keep images like that in our mind. Um, there are so many images that you can see images of young children standing or kneeling crying before gravestones you know widows before gravestones spouses before gravestones they feel the full measure that was paid for them those of you that may not have that direct connection we still need to be reminded of what the price was paid so that we could sit here and do this very thing today you know the freedom we have to worship was bought with a price in so many different ways. We need to remember the sacrifice that was given so that we could do the things that we're doing today, the freedoms that we enjoy. Um, How many of you brought your Bibles? Okay. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Again, I had to remind myself not to mark the places so I could give all of you time to find them too. Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 1 and verses 3. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Again, I'm going to paraphrase this to some degree. We need to give earnest heed to those things so that we don't forget them, so that we remember them. And then on to verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And to neglect something is to forget about it. It's not to remember something. So I'm going to keep tying these things back and forth into, you know, Memorial Days. We need to remember the sacrifices that were paid by the soldiers that died on our behalf. In verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And again, fail to remember the price that was paid for our salvation. So we need to remember Christ's sacrificial death. I mean, Easter's over, right? Should we forget about his death? Or should we memorialize it, have a memorial day? Every single day of our lives, we should choose to remember what Christ did. Not just at Christmas, not just at Easter when we celebrate the significant events. But we need to remember every single day what he paid. He paid the ultimate, you know, the full measure of devotion, like Abraham Lincoln said in his address, He gave the full measure of devotion to us. He didn't hold anything back. He said, I'll give you everything that I have, everything that we need. He laid it down and gave it on the cross. So every single day we need to remember what he did for us. And the five points that I originally shared, the things that we need to remember about the soldiers who died, the American Civil War, the Revolution, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, all the different places that we've lost soldiers through the course of this history, is I'm going to take those same five points and say these are the exact same things Christ died for. First one, he die, died so that we could have freedom from the oppression of sin and death. Amen. That's salvation right there, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. We need to remember when he died on the cross... He died to break the hold that sin and death had over our lives. He died to give us our freedom. The second thing is the Holy Spirit is working to keep this body of Christ united. American Civil War. Many issues tore us apart there. Within the church, how many issues tear us apart? Because we're not leading, we're being led by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus died on the cross... Sent the Holy Spirit so that He could maintain, or so that He could bring unity within the body of Christ, and yet we we fight that. <clears throat> the third thing is He gave us power and authority to defend our families and our pla- and, excuse me to defend our families from the plans of the enemy to destroy it. We know that one of the plans of the enemy is to destroy families, tear them apart. Yes. Yes. Okay. Jesus died on the cross, sent the Holy Spirit to give us the power and authority to speak against the plans of the enemy. To bring reconciliation within couples, to bring reconciliation within families. Because the body of Christ, apart from the unity, apart from the salvation message, we have nothing. All that we have, the only reason we're sitting here today, is to remember what Christ did for us. And if we forget the lessons of history... Unfortunately, the doom that we're bringing on ourselves is so, so much more than having to repeat it. Is that if there's people out there that are lost in their sin and they don't encounter Christ because we choose not to speak out or because we choose not to live as Christ chose or showed us how to do, their eternity is separated from the, the Father. Okay? We don't want that on our hands. We don't want that on our hearts. That's right. The fourth thing is he gave us a commission. Jesus died on the cross. He gave us a commission to speak love and truth. Okay. Love and truth don't always sit well with people that don't want to hear love and truth. Okay. But that's what we need to give them. You know, Peter said to the man at the gate, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. What did he have to give? He had to give the love and the power of Christ. If you have nothing else in your hand, you have the love and the power of Christ. You have the authority in Christ, to break people free from their bondages. We are to battle. You know That's why we're here in this world right now, this time in history, is because we have been given the authority to battle the spread of evil in this world. Amen. And then the fifth point is he died on the cross because we are too weak. We're too poor to obtain our own salvation. Amen. We can't do it on our own power, our own righteousness. It's through Christ that we have the ability to do these things. So he died for us to stand up for the poor and the oppressed that can't stand up for themselves. The unborn, the handicapped, the oppressed, the possessed. There's many people out there that do not know how to stand for themselves. And as Christians, we are to stand for them in the power and authority that Christ died to give us. So we're to be that force, that battling force that is out there on the front lines pushing back darkness giving the light into the world so that people can see the hope that we have in christ so apart from that that's what we need to remember you know remember what he did what he died on the cross for for each one of you it starts individually but then it goes into the family what did he do for my family what did he do for this body here in russell pennsylvania and online wherever you have to be watching from is he died to give us all those things. It's not just about us. It's not just about what he did in our lives, which is our testimony, but he saved us so that we can go out and save others. Amen. Give them the hope that we now have also. Because if we only keep what he's done to ourselves, who does that benefit? Okay. You know, If you want to be selfish and hold the glory that God has given you to yourself, That's not what he wants for us. He wants us to share what he's done. He wants us to give out of the life that he's given us. Turn to Philippians, if you would, now. So just remember, you, I was, you were, every single one of us, we were bought with a price. And that price was the Son of God's very life. So Philippians chapter 2. Verses twelve and thirteen. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul says, "Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is it is God which works in you both to will and to do what is His good pleasure." And any time I read this verse, one of the first things I want to tell everybody is. Do not hear in that verse that you can work for your salvation. Amen. Okay, There is not enough time. There is not enough energy. You don't have enough finances to gain your salvation by yourself. The only way salvation comes to any one of us is right there. Amen. Through the cross. So that's settled. Okay, There is nothing any one of us, even as a corporate body, if we pulled all of our resources, talents, intelligence, finances... We still couldn't pay one of our debts to get our eternal salvation bought. So let's clear that up right now. But what that verse means is that from the day you've been saved, that you've given your life over to Christ, from that day forward, you're to be working for the kingdom. So the gifts and the talents that God's put inside of you from the day that you were born again you're now to be using those gifts and the talents for the kingdom's good, to push back the darkness, to open up the you know, the prison doors, to let the jailed, you know, the oppressed out of the jail, to set them free. And it's to do his will and his pleasure, not to do our own, but to be doing what he has created us to do. So you cannot work for your salvation. That's the point. But we need to remember again that we're to be about the Father's business, just as Jesus said. He came to spend the time that he did on earth in a human form to be about the Father's business, to be that ransom for us, to give us the opportunity to stand here and glorify him. Um, do you guys still have the lighthouse slide in your queue there? Everybody's familiar with, with this one. If, you, if they don't have it, you guys can all picture it, the lighthouse with the wave crashing over it. Okay. Everybody planning trips to Oregon now to see this? So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about building life on the rock. Um, AJ and Kurt talked about it last week with worship. Um, Worship is to be what our life is. I mean, they hit on a lot of the main points of it. Um, But worship is our life. Whether you want to believe that or think that or not, that everything that you do from the day that you've been saved and even before that, is you offering worship up to God. It's either pleasing to God or it's displeasing. You know, there are, There's no gray area with God. The things that we think, the things that we speak, the actions that we take, the way we interact with each other, it's all an offering to God. It's all part of our worship that we're presenting to God. And we're told to do what? To love our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Romans 12.1 says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. service, worship. We'll use worship since that kind of ties into what I'm talking about. But that's our worship, is we're to offer our lives to him as worship. And so what is worship? AJ and Kurt talked about that. They gave you some of the information you know, on what worship is. Singing songs is part of worship but also listening to the word, reading the word is worship. There are so many facets to worship that we, can't, we don't have time to cover them all. But the thing, again, to remember is what he did on the cross, what are we doing with it from this day forward? What are we doing with the life that he's given us? So what are the ways do we build our life on the rock? You know, looking at that thing, and we covered that, that they didn't just plop the thing on top of there and hope it stayed there. They anchored that thing in deep. They rooted it into the rock so that it would be able to withstand storms like that, hurricane force, you know, w- winds and bat- battering waves. It requires work. It requires discipline. It requires time. It requires finances. Every single one of you sitting here right now, you've offered part of that sacrifice by even being here on a Sunday morning. I mean, if it was a Sunday morning and it was 72 degrees outside and the sun was shining, it would be a little more sacrificial to be here, right? (laughs) But here we are. You've dedicated part of your day, part of your life to be here to worship God. And so as you do these things, it's all part of worship. Every one of us has a different way that we may worship, but it's all being offered up to God. as you see, the communion tables are set up here. In a little bit, we'll be doing communion. And that's part of what I'm going to be speaking about this morning is, if you've never thought of it, communion is an act of worship. Yeah. It should be an act of worship, yes. that you're offering yourself up to God and doing this. So if you guys could put up the communion slide there. There will be a familiar picture that you know Jesus enjoying teaching with his disciples, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. It's called many different things. And again, looking into Webster's Dictionary, Communion says it's the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feeling, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. And the second definition is the service of Christian worship at which bread and wine are consecrated and shared. So not a whole lot of power in those definitions. And so what I want to explore a little bit this morning is what exactly is communion. I mean, most of us, I'm assuming every single one of you at one time or another has taken communion. But what I want you to do this morning is we're going to tie it into Memorial Day and remembering. Okay, that communion, communion isn't just, you know, the bread and the wine. It's actually a representation that's supposed to remind us of what happened up there on the cross? Right. Yes. So, why do we take communion? You know, it shouldn't just be a ritual. And again, does communion save us? No. No. Okay, good point. Do that multiple times. We need to keep reminding ourselves the things that we do, being here on a Sunday morning does not save you. Walking through the, those doors and even if you brought your Bible, carrying your Bible around does not save you. That's right. Okay? The power is in here, but you actually have to apply it. And so communion does not save you. Communion is for the saved. It's not to be a ritual that we just do for the sake of doing it, or because you're thirsty, or because you're hungry. I mean, if you're hungry, that little wafer's not going to do a whole lot for you. But we're to approach communion as part of our worship to God. Amen. It's to be an exchange of intimate thoughts and feelings between us and the one who saved us, if we take the Webster's definition, is that communion is to be a time when you reflect, you remember on what he did. That's right. And it's not just a time to partake in a ritual. Because this, again, this does not save you. It does not make your standing with God any different than the day that you put your faith in him. So communion can and should be an activity or a part of our worship that drives us deeper into the rock. That anchors us firmly if it's done with the right heart. Um, If you would now turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 26. This is where the Lord's Supper was being observed and written down by Mark. He said, as they ate, Jesus took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. And I'm going to skip down to 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. So they celebrated the Last Supper, the Passover meal with Jesus here, the Lord's Supper. And he said, this is the, my body, take and eat. This is my blood of the new covenant, take and drink it. And then they sang a hymn as they left that day. if you turn over quickly to 1 Corinthians now. The question is, is why do we take communion? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. And Paul's speaking to the Corinthians and he says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. The Important part of this is, do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner he took the cup when we had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This you do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Whereso, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So why do we take communion? To remember. To remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I did. Remember the price that I paid on the cross so that you do not have to spend eternity separated from the Father and His love. That's the price that was paid so that we could be here today and remember by taking communion together. How frequently should you take communion? According to what Paul says, as often as you do this, there's no limit. I mean, as a church, we have you know, done it. We do it at Easter traditionally. Um, we Sometimes we were in a pattern where we did it once the first Sunday of every month. It doesn't just have to be here. You can take communion anywhere you want to remember Christ and what he did for you. Okay. You can do it as a family before supper. There is no limit on how often you should be remembering Christ. Every day should be Memorial Day, Remembrance Day, as we walk this thing out. And so don't think that the only time that you're allowed to take communion is when it's been set up for you. You've got juice, you've got wine at home, you've got bread. Bless them just as Christ did and take communion together. Make it more of a habit so that you're constantly reminding yourself of what Christ did for you. Because if we don't continually remind ourselves of what was done for us, we forget it. We allow it to slip away, as it said in Philippians. So do it as often as you want. As Every time you do it, think of it, you're driving your roots deeper into Christ. And when the storms come, you're going to be able to stand them that much better. Because you're deeply rooted into Christ. Another way to ask that is, how frequently do you want to commune and be intimate with your Savior? Communion is one way of doing it. Prayer, meditation, singing praises to him, those are all ways to do it. But this is one more tool that we've been given to remember who Christ is and why we need to worship and praise him on a regular basis. It's all part of it. In verse 27 and 28, it says, Whoever eats or drinks unworthily, and it says, to examine yourselves before you partake of this. And as I'm going through the rest of my message, I want you to be thinking about yourself and what communion means, why you're taking communion. Communion is about remembering what Christ did That's right. that He died on the cross for you. Don't look around the room and think, Well, He died for so and so. Make it personal. The reason that you're taking communion is because you're remembering what he did for you personally. Fill your name in the blank. And it says to not take this lightly, to take it unworthily. And what I feel that that means is that you have a full understanding that when you're about to take the, the communion, when you're taking the bread and you're taking the juice in this case, is that you're not just thinking, well, this is a good thing to do. You're thinking about that his blood was shed to cleanse you of your sins. And it's only through that power that you can stand here and rec- you know, proclaim that, that his body was hung on the cross for your sins, for your healing. And so as you take the communion, you need to fully remind yourself of that, to not take it lightly, to not do it as a ritual of, oh, it's time to do communion again. No, this is about his body and his blood Amen. and what they bought for you. You know, my short five list thing. That's part of what he did for you. Is he bought your freedom, he brought you unity, he brought you you know, the ability, the power and authority to speak out against evil and the plans of the enemy. So don't take it lightly. Approach it like you were approaching him himself. That if Jesus were actually in the flesh right here on this stage, this would be a different room. I mean, just look at what when the Apostles, when different people encountered angels who were much lesser beings than the Creator. But because of their magnificence and because of their obvious authority and power, people would fall at their feet to worship them. And so we need to, again, go to that place where we can just forget about the flesh. We can forget about our own humanity and understand who He truly is. That even though he had all power and authority, even though he had the rights of the creator of the universe, he chose to give them up and stand in your place on the cross so that you could approach him in that way as the risen Savior. So communion is something more than just something we happen to do. The elements represent his body and his blood, his holy body and his holy blood. So we do it in remembrance of the full measure of devotion and the price he paid to redeem redeem you. So towards the end of the service, we'll be taking communion together. Another way that we can build our life intimately in the rock is through baptism. Is how many of you have ever been water baptized? Okay, a good majority of you. Um, good news is some of you may not realize we have a baptismal here. It has been out of order. <laughs> for quite a while because of mechanical, technical difficulties. Um, It is being, has been repaired, and so we plan on being able to start doing baptisms again. And again, does baptism save you? Okay, that was a setup, wasn't it? Okay. (laughs) Being baptized in water does not save you. I mean, all of you take a bath, take a shower, that doesn't save you. Baptism is a proclamation publicly of what Christ has done to you internally. And so baptism is something that we are going to begin doing again, hopefully in the near future. And so that is something that if you have never been baptized and you have a relationship with Christ, or if you were baptized and didn't understand what you were actually doing, let us know. We plan on starting to do baptisms again, hopefully very soon. And again, the, bil- or the dictionary definition of baptism is, Application of water to a person as a sacrament or religious ceremony by which he is initiated into the visible church of Christ. Again, a pretty stale definition. Baptism is not what saves you. It's what you do to proclaim what has been done for you. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11... John said, I baptize you with water for repentance. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said, repent and be baptized. And so throughout Scripture, you're going to see lots of different instances where repentance and baptism are closely tied together. And even Stephen, when he was talking with the Ethiopian eunuch, enlightening him, revealing Scripture to him after he had laid out the plan of salvation and enlightened him on scripture, what did the eunuch say? Saw some water? Said, why not now? Okay, now is the time to be baptized. And Stephen went and, or Philip, excuse me, went and baptized him. And part of the miraculous part of that is said the the eunuch didn't see him anymore. The Holy Spirit just took him and put him in his next place. So that's a teaching for itself. But baptism is closely connected with repentance. Being baptized without repentance is worthless. Repentance and baptism go together. So without repentance, and what is repentance? When I repent of my sins, it brings a cleansing of my heart. It renews my spirit. I'm born again. It's a new birth. And so new believers are commonly baptized in water to represent the cleansing That they've gone to to the world because can you see my heart being cleansed by the blood of Christ okay not immediately but anybody who knew me the change in my attitude my actions the way I live my life that part becomes evident but if you want to do an immediate announcement if you will baptism is one of the ways it was closely tied together in the scriptures is I've been saved I've been cleansed I want to be baptized and if we're going to follow the teachings of Christ, did Christ need to be baptized? No. Okay, to fulfill scripture, he did. Okay, but he had nothing to repent of, did he? No. But he was setting the precedent. He was showing us how to live out the life. And so when he came to John, and John was the same way as all of you were, it's like, I'm not baptizing you. I'm not, even worthy. I'm not worthy to baptize you. I, can't even, I shouldn't even be untying your sandal straps. And yet you want to be baptized. Baptism is considered, well, the way John spoke about it, was a very high honor. It was something that you know, was done to perform after repentance occurred. But Jesus said, you need to do this to fulfill the scripture. And so he relented and you know, got the privilege of baptizing our Christ. In doing that, Jesus also heard the approval of his father went into the wilderness, was tempted, and began his three-year ministry. So baptism is closely connected with the works of Christ. And, you know, let's make it real. I see a little, little one heading out of the room here. All of you that were, are our mothers in this room, think back to when you were carrying the baby in your womb. Okay? Baby was in an amniotic sack, also known as water. Right? So a baby, when it's created, is in water. And when it's time for the baby to be born, what do we call it? The water breaks. And the baby is birthed out of water. So in a way, a baby starts out life coming out of water. They're brought into a new life. You know, the nine months prior to being born, they were in a totally, to us, a very abnormal atmosphere. You know, water-filled. They, they breathed water. Their lungs were filled with water. But yet, in Christ, in God's creation, that's how it's supposed to be. They were filled with water. The water breaks. The baby's born. It's that easy, right, women? Just like that. Right, Ann? I'm a man. How would I know? That's true. That's why I can kind of say it lightheartedly because I did not have to go through that. Thank you, God. But in baptism, it's the same thing, is that you've repented of your sins. You are no longer the same person. The life that you lived the nine months prior, the 30 years prior, as you're coming out of the water, it's representing that new birth, that you're born again. You're a baby Christian that now has to live a different life than you did the previous amount of time, whatever it is, when God brought you out of that. So God's filling Our life with examples of how he wants us to do things a baby being born is one of the again I shouldn't say simplest ways before somebody one of these women slaps me (laughs) but it represents again the newness of life that the water breaking the baby being born it's a new life it's a new creation that now has a totally different atmosphere that it's living in and as we worship Christ it changes our atmosphere It changes the things that we breathe in even. Another example of baptism in the Old Testament was the prophet Jonah. Is that Jonah was instructed by God to go to Nineveh, the wicked city of Nineveh, and preach repentance to them. And Jonah didn't think they were worthy of it. He said they deserve God's judgment. They don't deserve his mercy. So what did Jonah do? He actually tried to go the opposite direction, or he did start going the opposite yeah. direction. I'm getting as far away from Nineveh as I can. Yeah. They don't deserve God's mercy. Yeah. Okay, but because God's plans are greater than any one of our wills. Yeah. <laughs> God sent the storm, shook the boat up a little bit, threw Jonah overboard. God you know, appointed a fish slash whale to be there to swallow Jonah up and take him into the depths. If you read Jonah's account, I think it's in chapter 3, he says, I was in the pit. I was in the depths of the seas. Yes. He repented eventually in his mind. And I'm going to say only in his mind. Yeah, right. Because when the whale got him to where he was, should have been, and it says he vomited him onto the earth. Yeah. Okay, You can imagine that, a you know, whale's belly all the things that were down there with Jonah. (laughs) The stench. stench. So he vomited onto the beach where he was supposed to have been. And so he was brought out of the water to fulfill God's purpose. And he went to Nineveh. He preached the gospel. He didn't preach the gospel, but he preached repentance. And what happened? The whole city repented. And the reason I say that Jonah's mind is the only thing that repented, not his heart, because he went up on the hillside and waited for God to bring down judgment on them. And he was actually mad God when God did not bring judgment on them. Yeah, right. yeah. So God had to continue working on this man and his you know, new birth. And Jesus even spoke of Jonah. In Matthew 12:40. he referred to Jonah and spending three days in the fish and being brought back from the depths. So Jonah is an important part of that. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, if everybody would turn there. Romans 6, 1 through 4. And Paul says to the Romans, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that we are dead to sin? live any longer therein. Know you not that so many of you were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also will walk in newness of life. So in Romans we're told that baptism is a representation that we're joining in Christ's death. But Christ didn't stay dead. That's why we don't have a memorial to Jesus because he did not remain dead. He rose from the dead so that he could fulfill the needs of the sacrifice and sit at the right hand of the Father, send us the Holy Spirit that we could live as Christians by his power and his glory. So baptism is similar to communion. It's a way that we can dig our roots deeper into Christ. That we can do a physical thing that tells the world I've given my life over to Christ that I'm no longer my own but I've been bought with a price and that from this day forward I'm going to live differently than I've ever lived before because of what Christ did for me. So it's about newness of life. Being born out of water. Proclaiming the changes that have occurred on you internally to the world. So if it is something that you desire to do is be baptized, um, see myself or one of the other elders, let somebody know so that we can start planning this thing out. And again, baptism is not salvation. Communion is not salvation. These are things that we do to proclaim and remember what Christ did for us because we need to remember. Because if we forget, and let these things slip away. If we don't spend our time In the Word at the foot of the cross, then the power that He gave us is going to be waning in us. We're going to grow dim. We're going to grow complacent. We're not going to have a love or a care for the others. So, salvation is not just for me, it's for those that God's put in my life also to live it out. To share the hope that I have, to share the testimony of what He's done in my life, and that's where the power is. The power is in the blood and our testimony. It says. So as we prepare to take communion, I want you to again remember what communion is about. Communion is about His blood and it's about His body and what He did on the cross. It's all about the sacrifice on the cross. That everything that we talk about, everything that we think about, we need to run it through the power of the cross. If we try and figure things out on our own and try and say, well, this is the wisdom of man, the wisdom of man is foolishness. We see that day after day. It says, lean not on your own understanding, but lean on God. Look to Him for understanding. Look to Him for the wisdom to, you know, whatever it is in your life, whatever the situation is in your life, ask Him because he has the answers. He has the the desire to use you, to make you a vessel of his love, to be poured out to others. So if you would like to begin coming up and taking the communion cups, please do that. Somebody start the process out. And again, do it in a worthy manner. Remembering what the cross was for.
1: Listen, me, thine Jesus, child
0: oppression, but also remember daily what Christ did for us, and that you will not let it slip away, that you will constantly be in reminder, reminding yourself of what you did, and that you were bought with a purpose, you were bought with a price, and that was his precious blood. So as we go out today, you can just remind yourselves of that daily, remind yourselves as a family, it's about the blood of christ it's about the power and the, the privilege that we have to serve him that we don't take it lightly that we don't just one more day we count every day a blessing that we can serve him one more day that we have on this earth so father we just thank you we thank you for all that you've given us through your son jesus christ through the Presence of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we will not take these things lightly. That we will, we will press into you. That you will open our eyes to the spiritual battle that we are in, even though we do not realize it. That we are constantly in a spiritual battle. That we will stand for those that can't stand for themselves. We will fight for the oppressed. We'll be the one that proclaims the gospel, that opens up the prison gates, to allow the captives free, and we'll take your word, and we'll just allow it to transform us into the image of Christ. Lord, we thank you for this day, we thank you for all that are gathered here today, and the plans and the purposes you have for us going forth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.